Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's October 6th, 1952, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. The longest-running play in the history of the theatre opened on this day in 1952, but it wasn't, as you might expect, the stage classic A Streetcar Named Desire, nor a popular Shakespeare play like Othello, nor even a blockbuster musical like, say, Oklahoma. Instead, it was Agatha Christie's The Mousetrap, a play that even the writer herself thought would be dead and buried after a maximum of eight months. And it makes sense, really, that Agatha Christie herself might have been underwhelmed by The Mousetrap because it was based on a short story, Three Blind Mice, of hers, that was itself based on a radio play that she didn't really come up with the idea of writing. You probably heard of a command performance, but this was command content. The BBC had gone to Queen Mary in 1947 on the occasion of her 80th birthday and basically said we're going to do a requests evening for you on the radio. What would you like? And instead of saying, you know, I'd like some Tchaikovsky, she said, I'd like to hear a new play by Agatha Christie. And they were like, okay. <laughs> Luckily, Agatha Christie did agree to do it and she donated her fee to a children's charity. I don't think the BBC still commissions like that. I mean, it would be a kind of amazing if they did. Just ask her, Madge, what she feels like. Yeah. There are nights when I'm watching BBC Four when I think Prince Charles must have programmed it, but generally. <laughs> yeah, so she came up with this idea for just a quick radio play that was then performed on the radio as part of this programme of special events for Queen Mary's birthday. And then she turned it into a short story. But for reasons we'll probably get into, the short story has never been published in the UK. Although I will say it is very easy to go and order a copy to be imported from the US on Amazon. (laughs) But the short story itself was based on a really horrific story of child Mm. abuse. The story of Dennis O'Neill, who was a 12-year-old who had died at the hands of his foster family, which, I mean, I'm not going to even go into the details here on an entertainment-based podcast. It's not very nice. And it goes to show how quickly tragedy can turn to light entertainment, doesn't it? You know, you say the mousetrap to anyone, and they have sort of fond memories of this faintly camp 1950s living room murder mystery whodunit thing that's all a bit innocent and warm and quaint and unthreatening and all those things people think about Agatha Christie discarding the fact they're all based on people being murdered. But not only are they based on people being murdered, she's spinning yarns from really horrible recent murder inquiries and that is completely glossed over. It's one of those grim murders rather than one of those fun, lively murders. (laughs) (laughs) But one of the reasons that the play has never seen the light of day as a book, nor even as a movie, at least with the exception of two regions, Russia and India, is because the playhouse itself really wants to guard the secret of the twist ending very, very closely. And so not only do they swear famously the audience to secrecy after they've seen the show, but also they're not keen to convert it into any other product, because as soon as you convert it to any other product, then 
then, you know, there's no reason to go and see this incredibly long running piece of theatre. And the publicity machine around the play was actually the brainchild of the play's first producer, a man called Peter Saunders. It was to him that Christie made the comment that she, she thought the play would only last for eight months. And he actually said 14 months. So he wasn't that much more accurate. Uh, he was the one who came up with this big idea of putting out all of this hype, that there's a big secret, the twist ending, you know, you'll never find out what it is unless you come and see it. And the audience goes through this, you know, elaborate theatrical process being sworn to secrecy by one of the actors, the first swearing <laughs> so to, to secrecy. <laughs> it, it is extremely camp. And the first swearing to secrecy was done by Richard Attenborough, who was in the first mm. ever cast alongside his wife, Sheila Sim. And who took a 10% profit participation in the production, which was a good move <laughs> on Very the well. part of Dickie, wasn't it? Because <laughs> he's actually pretty much the only star that's been in The Mousetrap, apart from for its, 20, I think, 25,000th performance performance a few years ago <laughs> they did a sort of all-star version with Miranda Hart and Julie Walters and Hugh Bonneville but that was for one night only and the actors had their scripts in their hands yeah. the reason it's lasted so long and we should say the mousetrap is still on now it is the world's longest running play you can still go and see it tonight if you want to <laughs> the reason it's still on is it's cheap to to keep on isn't it it's in a small theater I think 550 seats it's got mm-hmm. a cast of I think six or seven so even with understudies and stage managers it's one set it all takes place in one snowed in guest house so literally the cost is the people you can see on stage Mm. and they've managed to just keep it running and running and running because they haven't needed stars that the play sells itself and the sets have actually only been refreshed twice in the 1960s and the 1990s so you know you're really not looking at a massive outlay to keep the show looking in top nick and there are actually (laughs) two things that have not been changed at all since opening night in 1952 which is the pre-recorded newsreader which was provided by the voice of a chap named Derek Geiler who died in 1999 and the clock on the mantelpiece which has been there ever since opening night well the other great act of longevity was achieved by David Raven in this show who is in the Guinness Book of Records as the most durable actor for having done 4,575 performances as one of the cast members in the play, making him the longest serving actor in any show of all time. That can be trumped by Uh Nancy Seabrook, who spent 15 years as the understudy for Mrs. (laughs) Boyle. 6,240 performances waiting in the wings to see if she'd have her big night. She only got to go on 72 times out of 6,000 okay. plus. So she must have been sick to death of the. I reckon at a certain point she was probably sat in the wings and she couldn't even tell anymore whether she was in the play or not. She, the, the lines must have been so much a part of her psyche by that point. Yeah. I mean, on a day where you've got a matinee and an evening performance, you're spending more of your waking hours in an Agatha Christie play than you are in your life. <laughs> That's astonishing. She must have been contemplating murder by the end of it all. (laughs) I reckon she made herself useful, don't you, though? 15 years waiting in the wings. I bet she was like the one everyone in the cast went to for a hug. She did clock maintenance. (laughs) Took the Amazon deliveries in. Something. (laughs) The show itself became the longest running play after just five years. It knocked uh, Noel Coward's blithe spirit off the top spot. He actually wrote this rather begrudging note to Agatha Christie saying congratulations, which began, much as it pains me, I really must congratulate you on the mousetrap breaking the long record run, (laughs) which is just the most Noel Coward way of, of saying congratulations in the whole world in the old days shows did not run as long as they do these days 
Yeah, and we sort of touched on that in our episode on Cats. We were talking about how before the invention of these blockbuster musicals in the 1980s, a run of a couple of thousand performances would have been seen as an absolutely astonishing success. It's amazing that the show kept going in light of the fact that the reviews for The Mousetrap were pretty average at best. The Manchester Guardian commented that it was a middling piece with less in it than meets the eye, which I quite liked. Uh, (laughs) Coincidence is stretched unreasonably, they said. The Times was uh, a bit more praiseful and said that there were some good characters in there but the Daily Express agreed that though there was pretty good atmosphere the plot itself was too obvious by half so the critics were hardly giving it five stars all round. I wonder if it's that idea that the show was a bit stuffy and a bit uninspired is maybe what's given rise to this weird association with you know how if you bring up the mousetrap people say oh the butler did it there's mm. no butler in the mousetrap. Mm. But I think it's just become so associated with these, you know, sort of stuffy one-room murder mysteries that yeah. every single murder mystery cliche has been heaped on it, probably exacerbated by the fact that a lot of people don't really know what the plot is because the ending is still a secret. And is a twist. I mean, I'm going to say now, don't worry, don't turn off. I won't say who done it, even though I do know I have seen the mousetrap. But I will say that the cliche that it has and is evident in so much of Christie's work, once you realise this is how her brain works, is kind of like the person who is revealed to have done it at the end is the one person you think, well, it definitely wasn't them. Mm. And that's the thing that she does in every murder mystery, isn't it? It's like there's a piece of evidence that makes you absolutely discount someone and then that is the person that it is. That's the trick that she does. That's how Miss Marple kept getting away with it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) One thing we haven't mentioned that I think we should is in an incredible act of generosity and or stupidity, Agatha Christie gave the rights to the play to her grandson for his ninth birthday. I think at the time it already was London's longest running play, but she probably didn't foresee seven decades into the future that we'd still be talking about it. (laughs) But even so, what a gift. Yeah. I know, that little boy never worked again. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's that classic thing and of w- saying, oh no, I haven't got him anything. What have I got lying around at home? <laughs> oh, I know. The rights this to my like play. It's like a coupon for free hugs that just were much, <laughs> yeah. much more money. <laughs> Tomorrow. Here's the in the shell egg scrambler, but for everything else, you're probably just going to need vodka. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash retrospectors part of the ACAST Creator Network.